This morning, we are, we are starting a brand new series coming out of the, the book of, of 1 John. And we're going to be exploring 1 John verse by verse, which really is my favorite kind of preaching. And I usually start a new series by giving you backstory and context of what we're going to see right out of the gate. But this morning, rather than, than me tell you what we're going to see in 1 John what if we discover that together? What if we just go ahead and dive right into 1 John? But before we do that, before we spend time with our scripture, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father, as in every single time we do this, our prayer is that, that your Holy Spirit would have free reign here. That through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to see what you are showing us in your word. That we would surrender our very lives to what we see, what you show us, so that you might be glorified. We give all of this here this morning to you. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Now I want to encourage you to every single Sunday bring your Bible. And the reason that I do that is because I never want you to take my word for what we're about to see. I want you to see this stuff for yourself. Yeah, we, we, have, we have the words up on the screen, but this morning we're going to pack four verses onto the screen. And we're going to do that for a reason. We'll talk about that in a second. But if that's too tight, if that's too small for you, we actually have the verses that we're going to explore in your bulletin, framed out in red. So you have those verses there also if you don't have your Bible with you this morning. But rather than have me read these four verses, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, for us, I'm going to have you read these verses on your own. But before we do that, as you read, I invite you to answer these questions. If you read slowly, what is it that catches your attention? What do these verses themselves, as you read, what do these verses themselves emphasize? And so Stan, if I can have that scripture, give you a minute to read 1 John verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1. Go ahead and read. All right, let's go ahead and read God's word together. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. 
This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you that we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to read it again. Let's go. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. So if we hop back to those questions, what catches your attention here? What do these verses emphasize? Literally, what do you see? Stan, can we bring those verses back? I'm going to try to mark this up as we go. Worked in first service, I'm sure it'll work here in second service. You laugh. So the word proclaim, right? We, we see that actually, second word in, we actually see that four different times. So verse 1, we proclaim to you. Then jumping down into verse 2, right? We, we testify, which is the similar idea, right? We testify and we proclaim. And then down to verse 3, we proclaim to you. We see lots of experiential words, lots of sensory words. Did you pick up on that? Let's go through here and see what we can find. So verse 1, whom we have heard and seen. I lost it. All right. My screen went blank, but it's back. So we saw him with our own eyes. I'm going to circle that, right? And we touched him with our own hands. Verse 2, this one who was revealed to us, got to be revealed for us to see him, and we have seen him. Verse 3, we have actually seen and heard. There could be more, but we'll stop with that. Lots of descriptors around this one. So let's go through and see what we can find here. Right, so, so this one who existed from the beginning. Right, we've, we've seen him, we've heard him, so he is knowable. He is the word of life. He is life itself. 
He is eternal life. He was with the Father. And we might have fellowship with him. And then lastly, we we have twice in these verses, these words, so that. So that simply means because. So so the writer of 1 John is telling us why he is writing. So verse 3, so that you may have fellowship with us. And verse 4, we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. There's a lot in these four verses. Now, did we have to look at the notes at the bottom of our study Bible? No. Did we have to Google anything? No. Did we have to use a lifeline and phone a friend? (laughs) Pastor Bill has a master's degree in pastoral studies. Did we have to call Pastor Bill? No. We just simply went slow with the text and, and we looked at what jumped out at us. If we go a step further and we take what we've seen here and, and, and we put that into a simple sentence, is it fair to say this? That we proclaim. This idea of proclaim, we see that word three times, the word testify once. There is something that the, that the writer of 1 John really wants us to know. We proclaim this one, this one who is life itself, this this one that we've experienced. And why? So that you might join us and share in our joy. This, from what we just did with these four verses, this is what the book of 1 John is all about. Now, we still have some work to do. We have not answered all of our questions, but this is a great start. We know that the writer of 1 John has something that that he really, really wants us to know. He's he's used that word proclaim and then that word testify four times. So why is the writer of 1 John, why is he desperate to get our attention? What if we go and we grab a resource to help us understand what's happening here? And for that resource, for us to get that context, to get that backstory, we're going to use the video on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John that the Bible Project has put online. Now, we've used these videos before. I think we used this before for the book of Ruth. And really, for me, one of the biggest wins in showing you this video is that it points you to a fantastic help. That as you're reading scripture and going, hey, what does this mean? There's this resource at thebibleproject.com that's there for you. Parents, as you are leading your families in the way of Jesus, because this is an animated resource, it is a fantastic help. Now, this video is a little bit longer. It's about nine and a half minutes long, but it is the same background information that I would pass on to you this morning And it's done in such a clear way that I think it would be a mistake to not use it. So let's watch this video together. The letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John is actually anonymous, but 2nd and 3rd John are written by someone who's called the Elder. Now the language and style of all three of these works are identical to each other and to John's Gospel. And so most people think that all of them come from the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, that could be John, the son of Zebedee, one of the 12 apostles, or it could be another John among Jesus's earliest disciples known as John the Elder. 
Whichever John it was, he's now in his old age, and he's overseeing a network of house church communities that are likely around the city of ancient Ephesus. Now, from clues within the gospel and from these letters, it seems that these communities were made up mostly of Jewish followers of Jesus and that they had recently gone through a crisis that motivated John to write these letters. He mentions that a group of people have broken off from these churches. These people no longer acknowledge Jesus as Israel's Messiah or as the Son of God, and they're stirring up hostility among those who stayed faithful to the churches. In fact, 2nd and 3rd John clearly address this conflict. 2nd John is a warning to a specific house church. There are people who deny Jesus. John calls them deceivers. And they're probably going to come looking for validation or support. And this church community is not to offer any. 3rd John is actually written to a member of one of these house churches, a man named Gaius. And the elder asks him to welcome legitimate missionaries who are going to arrive soon. He has to tell him to do this because the leader of that church community, Diotrephes, is acting like a jerk and he's rejecting anybody associated with John the Elder. And so these letters give us a window into the tension and conflict that John faced in these churches. And first, John was written as a response to all of this as a form of damage control. The elder assures those who still believe in the Messiah, Jesus, that God is with them as they adhere to the truth. And so all of this helps us understand the uniqueness of 1 John, which is actually not a letter at all. It reads more like a poetic sermon sent to these churches. John says that he's not communicating new information. In fact, almost all of the key ideas and words in 1 John come right out of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of John. And so John's goal is to remind them and persuade these Christians to stay true to what they already say they believe. The poetic quality of John's sermon is really cool. He doesn't develop his ideas in a linear or logical way. Rather, he uses a well-known technique of ancient rhetoric called amplification. So John has just a few core ideas he wants to communicate about life and truth and love. And he's going to cycle around these ideas repeatedly, each time offering a little bit different of an angle or emphasis. He uses a lot of hyperbole. He uses very stark contrasts with simple images of light and dark and love and hate and good and evil. But don't let the simplicity of 1 John fool you. This work is deeply profound. There's a clear introduction to 1 John and then a clear conclusion. And the flowing cycles of the sermon in between these two don't follow any kind of rigid literary design. But there do seem to be two larger sections. Each one is marked off by the introductory phrase, this is the message. And then each is followed by a repetition of images about how God is first light and then how God is love. And all of the ideas in these two parts flow out of and cycle back into these two core ideas. So the introduction is very similar to the prologue of the Gospel of John. It has echoes of Genesis chapter 1 and Proverbs chapter 8. John speaks of the word of life that was with God in the beginning. For John, the word God refers to both the Father and the Son who came to bring life into the world. And so those who saw and heard and touched the Son are called we. John's referring to himself and the apostles who were eyewitnesses of Jesus. And so now we have a message for you, the next generation of Jesus' followers. So when the apostles share the word of life with others, these others are also brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son through the apostles. The word fellowship here is koinonia in Greek. It means a participation or sharing. 
When people hear the message about Jesus through the apostles, that message brings them into a real relationship with Jesus himself and into a real participation in God's own love and life. And so this flows right into the first main section. This is the message. God is light. This is the message of the apostles that the God revealed in Jesus is light. And so if people want to participate in God's own life through Jesus, they need to keep walking in the light, which is a really cool image, but what does it mean? It means, for John, to keep Jesus's commands. And that's hard, so when you fail, Jesus's atoning death will cover for your sins. And then once again, you're called to get up and obey Jesus's teachings. But which one of his teachings? John reminds the churches of Jesus's old slash new command given to the disciples at the Last Supper, that they love one another as he loved them. Doing this is walking in the light. Now, if God's light is now shining through Jesus, then that means the world's darkness is passing away, which also means that God's children already in this moment have victory over the sin and evil and death that reigns in the world. And so that leads John to challenge the churches, don't love the world, because it's passing away too. He's referring here specifically to pride and sexual corruption, Likely, these are problems connected to the conflict that was happening in the churches. And so this leads John to warn the churches about these people who have left the communities and who deny Jesus as the Messiah. John calls them the anti-Messiahs and deceivers, but he's confident that those who still know the truth about Jesus are, in fact, the true children of God, and they are loved by the Father. And they show that they're part of God's family when they do righteousness and when they love one another, unlike the deceivers who are generating anger and strife and division. And so this transitions into the second main section of the sermon. This is the message of the apostles, John says, that God is love. And so God's children should love one another and avoid hatred. Don't be like Cain from Genesis chapter 4, John says. His hatred led him to murder his brother. But for Christians, love is defined by giving up one's life as a sacrifice for the well-being of others. That's what Jesus did. And when God's children trust in that love for them, it changes them. And so John warns once again of the deceivers. This time he calls them false prophets. When they deny Jesus is the Messiah, they apparently claim to speak for God. But John says to test the spirits. If anyone claims to speak on God's behalf, but doesn't focus on Jesus as the crucified Son of God, they do not speak for God, John says. God's true children will center their whole lives on the crucified and risen Jesus because that's where we see God's true heart revealed. We see on the cross that God is a being of total self-giving love. And that love is what compels Jesus' followers to love others in the same way. And when people meet this God of love, it does away with fear and angst forever which is part of what John means by having victory over the world. When you realize that God so loves you, that he is crazy about you despite your deepest flaws and failures, that love becomes the thing that grounds your entire life. This love is what comes through trusting in the crucified Jesus. It comes through trusting God's testimony about Jesus given by the Spirit. And it's trusting in the message from the apostles about Jesus. And when God's love gets a hold of you, it opens up eternal life. It's a life permeated with God's own presence and life and love, and it begins now carrying on into eternity. 
And so this leads John to the climactic conclusion of his sermon. He says, we know the Son of God has come, and so we can know the one who is true, and we are in the one who is true, in his Son, Jesus the Messiah. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, if your head's kind of spinning after hearing that sentence, and you're wondering, wait, who is the one who is true? Who is the one who gives true life? Is it Jesus or is it God? And John's answer is, of course, yes. John doesn't know any God apart from Jesus. And when he and the other apostles encountered Jesus, they discovered the God who loves us so deeply that he has chosen not to exist without us despite our failures. And this God is so surprising, so unexpected, that John's final words call us to keep away from idols, that is, to resist any temptation to remake this surprising God in our own image. To know Jesus is to know the God of creative, life-giving, other-centered love. This, John says, is the one true God. And that's what the letters of John are all about. So there's a couple of things in there for us to talk about. Again, the video gave us the backstory for 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to focus on 1st John. 2nd and 3rd John are just the implications coming out of the main message that we find in 1st John. And 1st John's where you and I are going to spend our time over these next couple of weeks. See, the events that are happening in 1st John are happening about 30 years after the death and the burial and, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. And enough time has gone by that there are those who are pushing a false Jesus, a knockoff version of Jesus, pushing a message about Jesus that is not true, and people are getting confused. So if we go back to that simple sentence that you and I created a few moments ago, we proclaim the one so that you might join us and share in our joy. Now that we have this extra information that has helped us with our understanding, we can, we can refine that to say, John really wants you to know the real Jesus and the real life that you will only find in him. And so now that we've, we've read these verses and, and we better understand these verses, we can start to pull questions out of these verses and bring those questions to bear in our lives. Questions like, why does John really want us to know the real Jesus? What are the knockoff versions of Jesus that you and I, that we encounter in 2018? How do I make sure that I know the real Jesus? But before we tackle these questions, I want to just hit pause and I want to invite you into something. So let me take us back to something that I said last week. That you learn to follow Jesus by, by actually following Jesus. In other words, you learn discipleship by doing discipleship. Right? You learn this stuff by doing this stuff, by living out this stuff. And so Daniel's sick. Our faith formation pastor and I have been dreaming of ways to invite you into all that we do as a church here on Sunday morning. And we're going to actually pilot one of these opportunities through this First John series. So this process that you and I just followed, right? We, we read our verses. We read those prayerfully. We read those slowly. 
we, we got some additional information to help us understand, and now we're wrestling with questions. Do you know that process is no different than the process that I go through to get ready for our conversation on a Sunday morning? And we'd like to give you the opportunity to join us in that process. So again, this is a pilot program. We're not even sure that it's going to work, but I hope it does. And so we're going to start easy and do this via an email that we will send to you on Monday and on Wednesday and on Friday if you choose to opt in. Here's what that email is going to look like. On Monday, we are just going to send you the verses that we'll talk about on that following Sunday. So if you, if you opt in for this, we will send to you tomorrow the verses that you and I will talk about next Sunday, January 28th. And we ask that you just simply read those verses. Read them prayerfully, read them slowly, read them several times, and just notice, like we did this morning, notice what catches your attention. And then on Wednesday, we'll add to those verses by giving you a paragraph or two of backstory to help you understand what you've read. And then on Friday, we'll add to that by giving you a couple of questions for you to wrestle with, questions that we'll then try to bring here for us to wrestle with together on a Sunday morning as part of this conversation. And again, this is a pilot program for the next 10 weeks for us in the book of John. So if you want to be a part of this, because I can't just go to our database and spam you all. But if you want to be a part of this, these three email each week, here's what you need to do. My email address is on the screen. If this goes by too quick and and you miss it, it's actually also on the back of the bulletin. But simply send me an email. You don't have to type me anything other than just simply put into the subject line, 1 John. And what I'll do then is I'll take your email and I'll, I'll put you on our distribution list so that you will receive these email. And again, at the end of the day, what we're simply looking to do is we're looking for ways to draw you into what we do here on a Sunday morning to allow you to experience God's word for yourself and to equip you to meet him in his word. Make sense? Let's get back to our questions. Why is it that John wants us to know the real Jesus? I'm guessing that we've all played the game Jenga. Or if we haven't, we at least know what Jenga is. If you're like, what is Jenga? That's Jenga. What happens as more and more pieces get taken out of those bottom layers? More and more pieces get taken out of those foundational layers of that tower of blocks. Just like in this picture, the whole Jenga tower starts to lean, starts to get shaky, and eventually comes crashing down. Works the very same way in our lives. If as a believer in Jesus, if the foundation of your life is Jesus and you start messing with those solid planks of who the real Jesus is, 
If you buy into a knockoff version of Jesus, whether you realize you are doing it or not, your life is going to start to lean. Your life is going to start to get shaky. And John has written 1 John because he does not want that for you. About our next question. What are the knockoff versions that you and I encounter in 2018? In our culture. Tomorrow you go to school, you go to your job and simply ask, who is Jesus? How many answers are you going to get? Probably a lot. For our sake this morning, if we simplify that, there's good teacher Jesus. He had some pretty cool things to say, but he was nothing more than a good teacher. So you've got good teacher Jesus, and you've got savior of the world Jesus. Which is the knockoff Jesus? Which is the real Jesus? In our churches. On Lancaster Online, this was the lead-in story about three weeks ago. Back on January 1st, as parts of the Mennonite church went their separate ways. And one of the main issues, the principal issue there, was the church affirming same-sex marriage. On one side of the issue, church leaders will give you any number of verses why Jesus approves of same-sex marriage. On the other side of the issue, and this is where MBIC lands, do we really believe that Jesus gives anyone a pass on sexual sin? No. He calls every single one of us to sexual purity. Which is the knockoff Jesus? Which is the real Jesus? In our lives, this is where we went last week. Who is the real Jesus? Is he the have your best life now Jesus? who is all about your comfort and your convenience and you being in control of your life, the Jesus that you simply add to your agenda, or is he the come and die Jesus who will ask you for everything? And that includes your comfort and your convenience and your control. If you think back to our Jenga illustration, you better believe that how you answer that question will have implications for your life, implications for your whole life. So which is the knockoff Jesus? Which is the real Jesus? Our last question, how do I make sure that I know the real Jesus? How do I make sure that I am following the real Jesus? Well, this is exactly what 1 John is all about. And so for the answer to this one, you're just going to have to come back next week. Let's pray. Father, may we see and we, may we surrender our lives through our time in 1 John to the real Jesus who died for our sins, that we might have life, that we might have real life. Through this series, may we know your son more and more and more, that we might fall in love with him, our savior, our king, more and more and more. This one who existed from the beginning, this one who is the word of life, this one who is life itself, this one who is eternal life. 
May we surrender our lives to him so that you, Father, might be glorified. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.